0: Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the leadership development podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Welcome back, Aspire listeners. I can't wait to have this amazing conversation with a good friend of mine, Kelly Croy, who is the author of Long Came a Leader and the host of the Wired Educator podcast. If you haven't had a chance to check out his podcast, you must do that. I had an opportunity to be a guest on there not too long ago. And wow, what an amazing host Kelly is and even better person. So can't wait to have this conversation with him about leadership, about mindfulness, and a bunch of different topics on educational leadership. Kelly, thank you so much for being on the podcast.
1: Joshua Stampert, thank you for having me on your podcast. I'm excited to be here and we're talking about all my favorite things. So thank you. (laughs)
0: All the favorite things, including how your educational and leadership journey started.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I'm still on that journey. Mm -hmm. And I I think that that journey of educational leadership has its uh, peaks and has its valleys. It started for me, Joshua, 31 years ago. I was a 21-year-old college graduate wondering who would hire a 21-year-old college graduate And I landed a fantastic job as a seventh grade English teacher in Oak Harbor, Ohio, which I loved. I I taught seventh graders English for 26 years, and it was the greatest job in the world. And I believe, you know, that was leadership. I was trying to be the best leader in the classroom as possible, and I learned from my principal Who was a decorated Marine from the Vietnam War? Mm. That everyone's a leader. Like you cannot wait for a title of leadership. If if there's a problem, you need to go out. You need to try to provide a solution. You can't wait for the title to start doing that. You know, I was in Boy Scouts. Leadership started there as well. I was on sports teams. I, I have to say, I coached football for 20 years, wrestling for 10, track for 10. Those all had you know, big influences on my journey as a leadership. Five years ago, a neighboring school district uh, invited me to come over and be their director of innovation and instruction. I have no principal certificate. I've never, I've, I, my pathway to leadership in a district is, is very unique. I report directly to the, the superintendent. I advise him. I work with our principals. I work with our assistant principals. I work a great deal about training everyone in our district about leadership and so while i think there is great value in pr- obviously getting those certificates of leadership i think leadership has many different pathways and uh, the most um, most important aspect of leadership is leading every day you know you could have a title of leadership but yet not choose to lead on a certain day and so to the listeners you know i'm not trying to deter anybody from from going after a, a principal certificate i think it's very important i think i missed out on a lot of education uh, about leading buildings and districts that I could have learned and and probably should have learned. But uh, I also want to say, I did some things along the way that I got recognized for and people thought, you know, this person's a good leader. Yeah.
0: Let's talk about that journey as far as well, one first, I love that you haven't gone through the administrative position because that's not most people's journey, but it does provide some folks that are listening to understand that there are other opportunities out there to be a leader in a district that doesn't require you to have an administrative uh, certificate or licensure. Yeah. So you talked about that you did some things, I'm assuming, in your on your campus or in your district that you got recognized for. So what were some things that stood out to that neighboring district for them to reach out and say, hey, I think you should be a director of innovation?
1: Sure. I think, first and foremost, I tried to be the best teacher for my students. And, you know, I would say even my very first year of, of teaching— I obviously was not the best teacher, but my heart to want to do the best for kids. Kids talked about me. They they just knew that I cared about them. I was the topic of, of dinner conversations and parents would come in to meet me. They're like, you know, my child won't quit talking about you and you tell these stories and they're becoming better people, you know, and it's like, uh. That kind of chokes me up a little bit. That made me feel incredible in my building. You know, I think good advice I got was, you know, try to be quiet for your first three years. Well, I wasn't very good at that, you know, and I always, always thought that I had something to contribute, not necessarily something to lead. I love being part of a team. We had a seventh grade team of teachers and we collaborated together to try to solve problems within our grade level. And uh, I think over time I helped lead that team to do some pretty amazing things. But I don't think leadership is ever this, you know, single out in front, uh, you know, waving a flag or twirling a baton sort of piece. I think there's moments where you need to stand up and lead. And there's moments where you need to encourage others to to stand up and lead and speak. And you kind of have to navigate that. And I think I've done a good job of both. I hope I don't have too big of an ego, but I think it also helped that, I tried to put my students and my fellow co-workers and our building and our district in the spotlight. I wanted to do things that made everybody look good. I thought early on that if one educator gets a spotlight, then it makes all educators look good. If one student gets recognized, all students look good. And so that was kind of my approach. And so uh, I love moon landings. And every year we try to have a moon landing, some big, crazy project that all the kids and all the teachers would contribute to. And uh, we did some pretty cool ones. And so uh, as a result, our building, our grade, our students were in the newspaper a lot. I think I think that helped. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I, I, would, I would really like to think that you know, I've made some good decisions and that, you know, I am who I say I am, you know, I'm authentic. I, I've always had a grand vision. These are the things I wrote about and along came a leader, you know. Uh, I, I think there's six aspects to it. You know, I, I, I search for wisdom. I try to be a good communicator. I try to keep a good attitude. Uh, I try to be authentic and I, I approach everything with tenacity. And ultimately, I have a grand vision. Those are the six key elements to leadership in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And uh, they serve me well, and that's what I speak about, and that's what I encourage others to, to pursue. And, and the, I spoke about this earlier in a presentation today, and what I like to say is, like, if you take any of those six and you think about going to the weight room, let's say right now you're listening and you feel like, well, I don't really know what you mean by having a grand vision. If you work on having a vision, that's like working on your bicep, okay? So you're like, I'm going to work on having a, a grand vision, a big vision. Well, if you go to the gym and you pick up a weight to work on your bicep. Does your bicep get bigger when you work out if you if you focus on it? Yeah. It, it does. It does. And so if you go and work on vision or the other five, that will improve. But here's the great thing about going to the weight room and picking up a weight and curling it to make your bicep bigger. Your hand gets stronger, right? Because yeah. you picked up a weight and you squeeze it, your hand gets stronger. And then when you pick the weight up, your wrist gets stronger because it picks the weight up. And then your forearm gets stronger because the forearm's got to bring it up closer to the to the uh, bicep. And then your shoulder gets stronger. Your neck gets stronger. And my point ultimately is when you pick any of those six or any virtue and you decide that you're going to work on it, the other ones cannot help but get stronger. So if I'm working and focusing on my vision, does my communication get better? Yes. Does my uh, authenticity get better? Yes. Does my tenacity get better? Everything improves. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think some people, I like to say, you know, I got this fancy title, Director of Innovation and Instruction. People love that word innovation. What is the biggest challenge to innovation or leadership? It's how we always do things. And people are just too comfortable about how they do things. And so leadership or innovation appears to them as a challenge. I really see it as an opportunity. And so titles of leadership, are not things we should pursue. We should pursue opportunities to lead and help promote others.
0: You know, you, you said don't focus on titles, but I do want to focus on yours because it is sure, it is yeah. a unique title as far as director of innovation. So for those who are listening and have no idea what that means, as far as a job, what are some of the challenges that you're having to work through? I know you said breaking the status quo, but yeah. you know, other things are you working with, with the superintendent, with principals, with teachers.
1: I think the greatest challenge that I encounter one is my title itself. I think being a director of innovation sounds wonderful, but I think a lot of people wonder, you know, who are you? What are you? Are you my boss? Are you what? What do you do? You know, like I, I, I think they kind of scratch their head a little bit, and then I think they sometimes they think I'm the tech guy. Like you're going, you're going to repair things. You know, I really see my job as helping our district get better in all areas, and so some days. I'm working with kids. Some days I'm working with adults. Some days I'm working with leadership. Uh, Some days I'm giving a presentation somewhere. And I think ultimately, I love, that's what I love about my job is because that's what I did even as a seventh grade teacher. Even though I was a seventh grade uh, ELA teacher, which was the greatest job in the world, um, I always put the needs of our district first. I wanted our district to look good to others. I, I wanted I wanted the classroom next to mine. Like if there was a problem going over there, I wanted to help. I didn't say, oh, this is my area. Right. I was like, how can I help you? How can I serve? If I saw something in the hallway, I was the kind of teacher that couldn't turn my head away. If I saw, even if I didn't even know who the the student was, if they looked upset or sad or something like that, I'd reach out to them. If a teacher looked like they were struggling, how can I help you? And I think that's what leadership is. Right. And so if if you're an assistant principal, if you're a principal, if you're a superintendent, or if you're aspiring to be any of those things, don't wait, and don't expect the degree to define you. Um, look for those little opportunities to help others, and then then you own your title when it arrives. And so I don't think anybody looks at me and is like, "Well, you don't, you're not deserving." I just think it. I think the boundaries uh, need to be defined better. Sure. And I think I think like all leaders there's a lot on our plates too, you know? And so I go into work uh, just like my to-do list at home. I often want to do the easy things, the simple little things and, and stay busy. But what we really make progress in, where we really grow is when you start tackling the big ones. And it's that constant weighing of what's a priority, what's urgent, where do I spend my time? Um, that's a challenge. That's that's a really hard one.
0: Right. So Kelly, I want to get into your book, Along Came a Leader, a Guide to Personal and Professional Leadership. And I have a copy. I'm holding it right now. and we're It's gonna, beautiful. It's a beautiful <laughs> copy, yes. <laughs> we're going to give away a copy of this book in addition to another one of your books that we're going to talk about a little bit later. But I want to dive in this because you've already talked about a little bit as far as the six primary pieces within the book. But I want to know where the concept even came from. Why did you write the book in the first place?
1: Yeah, so when I became a teacher, uh, I didn't really know that... I had been surrounded by great leaders my entire life i didn't understand that the opportunities that i have had growing up were unique i think a lot of people just kind of approach life like what happened to me is the same story that happened to everybody else like everybody was in boy scouts everybody had doctors and lawyers who were uh, scout masters telling you these things on how to live life Everybody had a football coach that had served in a war and, and taught you tenacity and, and these sort of things. Everybody had a mom and dad who taught you these values and, and these these uh, these virtues of life. And so I started to share these stories as I was coaching. And I started to share these stories as I was teaching. And within the first year, two years, three years, I realized none of my students, very few of my students were being told the things that I had been told my entire life these were unique to them and they just clung on to them they just like tell me more about this you know um, it was it was rather amazing and so you know I continued my research I I really thought about it a lot I wrote it took me a very long time to write the book because I wanted to do it the right way but I wrote the book for my coworkers I wrote the work for my students somebody had to capture what I felt that I was gifted to me. And I assumed everybody knew. And so what's shared in the book, isn't like, you know, Kelly Croy's necessarily Kelly Croy's thoughts on, on leadership. This is what I was taught and I'm trying to pass it on to others and I'm trying to pay it forward. And so if you turn to the back of the book, I tried to acknowledge as many uh, influences I had uh, in my, in my life. And I even, I even credit uh, a rock band, a sport, um, you know, the Boy Scouts, things like that. I think there's just a lot there, these experiences. And uh, it was really important to me. I really wanted to document that. Uh, My dad was an amazing storyteller. And I think I got a little bit of that from him, but that's how we learn. We learn through story. And I wanted to to pass it on, Josh. So that's that's why Along Came a Leader came to be.
0: Well, Kelly, I can assure you that you're you got a lot more of your dad than you realize because you're a great <laughs> storyteller oh, thank you let's talk about the balance piece right because you mentioned that earlier of you know being a leader obviously you're an author you're a speaker or a podcaster you've got a lot mm-hmm. going on in addition to being a leader so one big topic and i know this is something you spoke about uh, not too long ago on the teach better twitter chat which was mindfulness so mm-hmm. what are some things that you're doing within your own life to make sure that you are the most emotionally healthy to be the best version of a leader?
1: Great question. Powerful question. And the only way to answer it, Joshua, is I have to get a little vulnerable right here, right? I'm going to have to share some weaknesses with you and and with the listeners. So, you know, you write a book on leadership or you have a title of leadership. I think some expect for you to have all the answers. I'm the first person who's going to say, hey, this might not work, but I really think we should risk doing this. You know, just like Along Came a Leader, when I wrote Unthink Before Bed, a children's book on mindfulness, both of those writings were therapeutic. Both of those were to teach me also to reinforce uh, to me what I think is important. If you're going to sit down and say, these are the six tenets of leadership, you better live them. So you better believe every day I'm trying to live those six tenets to the best I can because somebody's going to cry out and say, you are not who you say you are, Kelly Croy. Unthink before bed is a, a absolutely a result of my inability to be mindful. It is, it is a statement to my anxiety and, and uneasiness. And I had to try to learn balance better. I, I'm not good at balance. I say yes to a lot my calendar fills up. And so I went on this journey and I, I didn't want, I actually, I saw it in one of my own children. I have four daughters and I saw them suffering from anxiety. Like I was, and I will say this about anxiety. And I said this on the teach better chat uh, at the, the, the discussion afterwards, anxiety for me is a blessing and a curse. It is my superpower. My anxiety is what makes me publish two books host podcasts, go speaking and do all those things because it, it drives me. It's the energy that drives me. But at 52 years old and, and, and now 31 years in education, um, I've got to live a little bit differently. And so that's where this book on mindfulness came place. So in the back of the book, again, I, you know I like bolted lists, I like numbers. I share 10 ways that I believe uh, people can be more mindful in their life. And some of it is the result of routine. Uh, routine, You know, you need a routine in your life. You need to get a little better organized. People who are organized and have established routines and rituals uh, have, a better, have a better day. They're at peace more. But I think the biggest one for me was I discovered, uh, and probably like you, you know, you hop into the shower, you're busy, 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 recording podcasts, teaching a class, doing this or that. And then you hop in the shower or get in your car, and it's the first time in the day you've been still. And all these ideas rush into your head. Why is that? Well, it's the first time you've been still. It's the first time that you were really mindful. What would happen if we brought that mindfulness intentionality into our day? Just for a minute, here and there, sprinkle it. I think too many people think mindfulness or meditation is about sitting in a lotus position, you know, ringing a bell, going, um, you know, something like that, uh, where it's just, Taking a walk, it's uh, listening to a song, it's uh, getting away from the environment that you're in. It was. It can be a lot of things, and and that was really fun doing that. Teach better chat because some other people shared their ways that they're mindful. Mindful isn't always what you think it is. Here's how I describe it: Mindfulness is being attentive to how your mind and your body are functioning, and if your mind and and body are functioning well, then. You know, you need less moments of mindfulness, but if your body is feeling that anxiety and discomfort, if your mind is all over the place, um, just like if your stomach were hungry, you would feed it. If your arms were tired, you would rest it. When your mind or your body speaking to you, it is, it's is—it's telling you, hey, we need to stop. We need to take a break. And that's what mindfulness is to me. And so uh, I want to teach kids this. I want them to know that these feelings, there are counteractive things that you can do. And that's the whole point of it. And, uh, the funny thing is if you go on Amazon and look at the reviews, there's over 80 reviews. I think every single review says it's not just great for kids. It really helped me, you know, because when you, when you read a book to your children, what do you do? You stop, right? You're, you're, it is actually an act of mindfulness reading a book to your children.
0: For those who are listening right now, Unthink Before Bed is the book that Kelly was referring to. And we're also going to give one of those books away. So um, stay tuned. I'm going to post that on social media on how you can win one of those books. Um, again, it's Along Came a Leader and Unthink Before Bed. And Kelly, I, I, when I got this book, the children's book, I swear my all five of my children started fighting over <laughs> <laughs> looking at it, reading it, and uh, my oldest, my 14-year-old, the uh, had a chance to read it to my boys. So it's an amazing book. And anyone that's listening, uh, both those books are fantastic. You need to make sure that you pick it up. Kelly, I want to talk about something that you said because I think it was pretty powerful. You you talked about anxiety being a superpower. And yeah. That blew me away because I don't think I've ever heard anyone refer to anxiety that way. <laughs> it is, it, you flipped it on its head. And yeah, I'm curious why you think that's the case and why anxiety is perceived to be such a, a negative for so many people.
1: Well, it, it absolutely is a superpower. Truly. Uh, I'm a man of faith, but I'm also a man of science, right? So when the hair on the back of our neck stands up, when our when our blood starts pumping and our heart starts racing, it's biologically preparing us for some danger, right? It is a it is a biological ability to defend ourselves, to to try to react. And that's normal if there's a saber-toothed tiger behind you <laughs> ready to pounce on you. That's normal if you have someone who's going to attack you. That's normal if you know, you're know you faced in a situation where you're protecting your family and things like that. It's not normal when it's a normal work week. There's, you're a, there's no dangers uh, threatening you, but you're going to bed. And you're having those feelings, right? That's when we have to say, okay, this, now it's not a superpower, right? Now, now it's, it's hurting me. It's, you know, what, what I was using to get things done is now, uh, impeding who I am. And so that's when we have to do things differently. Right. Uh, and that's where I'm at in my life. And I think that's where a lot of people are for a, a lot of different reasons, uh, the pandemic has, has been very hard on people. Um, There's a lot of families that uh, there's just a lot of stress and and situations going on. And, you know, we teach a lot of things. We teach a lot of, you know, health things. This is a, this is a health issue and uh, there's things that we can do. Mm -hmm. And really, it just starts with being more uh, attentive to it. I feel bad for parents. You know, I, I, I don't know if you remember the parenting course that you and I got when when you know right when we got married I didn't get one I don't know maybe you did <laughs> Joshua No no one really taught me how to be a parent and uh I like to think I was a good one it depends which child you ask at which point in their life but we just do the best we can right and you know and like there's just so many things in life where we just do the best we can well this book and there's and there's a lot of other tools out there as well can really help us but we're afraid to talk about it and it's it's really something like no one wants I'm anxious you know I'm I'm nervous um, I'm I'm worried that Joshua doesn't like my answer you know and, and and things like that i've found everybody has these thoughts that's a little comforting but i know that i got to do something about it no one's going to knock at the door and rescue kelly croy i've got to i've got to be intentional about it Am I perfect at it? No, um, I've, I've ha- I'm having more good days than bad days right now, but I still have some pretty bad days. And uh, I have to kind of analyze what what made what put me in this state and, and try to change it.
0: Well, Kelly, I appreciate you speaking about that. Cause I think there's a lot of people that are dealing with anxiety every single day. And it's one of those things like mental health, especially is something that people just don't talk about, um, even though they should. And I know your words are gonna help a lot of people that are listening that you know struggle with the same thing
1: you know, thanks. I, you know, I'm not advocating anybody go out and just unload on your boss or your coworker or anything like that. But, uh, I think there's, there's definitely ways to, to bring the conversation up. And, you know, um, I think, I think we all need somebody that we can have that conversation with. Now it'd be great if it's your spouse or, or a significant other or someone in your home. Um, Choose wisely. But I think if you're listening right now and you're like, yeah, you know, I'm kind of feeling some of that kind of search for that person and, you know, address it, say, you know, could I, could I share something with you? I'm a big advocate for people seeking counseling. I really am. I think if we, I think if we were all billionaires, right, we'd all have a nutritionist that lived in our house. We'd all have a physical fitness person. Um, We'd all have a personal trainer and we probably all have a counselor. So if, if you have those resources, uh, you know,
0: reach out, check it out. Definitely. Yeah. Wise words. This podcast is a
1: proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcasts. Now let's get back to the episode.
0: All right, man. Let's let's change the subject to something that's fun, which is uh, <laughs> creation, right? You are a creator, yeah. which I love about you, Kelly, because I, I can... Relate to that as a former art teacher. I know, you know, following you on social media, you have all these drawings that you do and you post, and it gets my creative juices flowing. And I know you're a person that believes that creation is greater than consuming information all the time. And I think that's mostly where our society is, right? We're just constantly consuming information every second. Mm -hmm. Why is it that you feel we need to have that output of creation? And is it something that you're also trying to help your district with.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So to kind of circle back a little bit, um, you mentioned that I put those cool drawings on Instagram and I do that around Christmas. I do some Christmas drawings and things like that. And so that's one of the best examples of me being mindful. I put on my headphones, I listen to music and I draw. Well, I haven't done that in a while. And so now I'm feeling a little anxious and things like that. So figure out what you like and go back and do it. But yeah, I love to create. And I just think this is an amazing time that we live in. First of all, anybody who wants to publish a book can. Anybody who wants to produce a song or music can. Anybody that wants to create a video and have a lot of people watch it can. There are TikTokers and YouTubers who have more viewings of their videos than Oscar winning films. That's crazy. You know what I'm yeah, saying? And so we live in this time. I think to answer your question, the, the very first, it's fun. Like who doesn't like to make stuff? It, it's it's fun. But I also think like, you know, going back to learning and instructing creation over consumption, creation is the DOK for creation is the rigor and the relevance creation is the quad D. Creation is the synthesis of learning. You can't live there, you know, right. but, but when we really want to know if someone has learned something, creation is one of the best ways to, to express learning. I know this as a teacher, you'll be remembered primarily for two things, how you treated your students and what you created in your classroom. I have students stop me all the time and they say, Hey, Mr. Croy. Hey, coach. And I, my first question is, was I kind? And they go, oh, you were so kind. You were the best. I go, what do you remember? They might remember a story, but they always remember something they made in my classroom. That's the great thing about humans. We're creators. We we create. I think, uh, going back to lotus eaters, I don't know if you know Ulysses and, and that whole story, but that's where we're at with devices right now. We get lured into this uh, eating of the lotus leaf it's just, it's so addicting. It, it, devices, in in Unthink Before Bed, it says devices have bedtimes. And uh, we got to put our devices to bed. And I think one of the best ways to put them to bed is to make, 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 make.
0: Well, let's talk about another creation of yours, right? So let's talk about the Wired Educator Podcast. Oh, I love it. I know that you love create in and you have a voice that you probably felt, you know, need to be out there, but I'm, I'm guessing there was some other components there. So for those who may not have listened to your podcast yet, you know, will you just kind of give a little background as to where the the podcast came from?
1: Yeah, I sure will. There was, I am part of the Apple distinguished educator community. There was a educator who was an, uh, we call ourselves ADEs, Apple distinguished educator. There was a a teacher uh, out of New Jersey, named Chris Tolly, I met him at an ADE uh, uh, get-together, and his passion for career tech uh, just blew me away. It wasn't something I was at all interested in. I was just really excited to hear his excitement about it. I didn't have a podcast, so I asked him to uh, if I could record it on a YouTube video, and I was going to share it with people in my district. And so we did it, just kind of like you and I are doing it right now, sure. in less than a year Chris was faced some tragedy and, uh, we lost Chris, Chris was gone. And I thought to myself, how lucky am I to have captured that story and to be able to share his excitement. And so Chris today is still inspiring and educating people because I captured it on on video. So also think great leaders become great leaders by who they surround themselves with. And so I have structured an hour out of every week of the year to sit down and spend with really smart people, <laughs> really amazing, really amazing people. And I like to think that that has helped me along the way. And so uh, I celebrate and promote the stories of other people and share them with the world on the Wired Educator podcast. Uh, recently, I had Jim Trussell on. I've interviewed Seth Godin, but I re- also interviewed a uh, young lady who hasn't even taught yet. She was just a student in college because I wanted to share that story. I've shared my co-workers, Uh, I've shared the stories of people around the world. I think that's just a wonderful gift that we can give. And so I like to say on every episode, I do the show for three reasons. One, I want to learn to get better. Two, I want to help my district get better. And three, I want to help people all around the world get better. And the podcast let me do that. And so uh, I'm a lucky guy. I really enjoy it.
0: Yeah. And your podcast is amazing. I'm, I'm definitely a subscriber and listen constantly. And you've had some Phenomenal guess. I mean, the names go on and on. So, uh, kudos to you on on those fantastic interviews. I want to talk about something else. You're in the works on uh, creating a new book. Yeah. So
1: I'm one of those guys. I always have a lot of projects going. Uh, I've been writing a novel for quite a few years, and I don't, I don't know. I say this. I say this every year, but I really feel this is the year the story closes, and I'm so proud of the story. It goes clear back to when I was in high school. I did some volunteer work in a nursing home. You're probably thinking, well, that doesn't sound very interesting. It's a really cool story and it's got some great characters in it. But I obviously want to do another children's book. And I so I've decided kind of my pathway. I've never told anybody this, but those six tenets in my leadership book, Along Came a Leader, I really want to make each one of those tenets into a story because I think they're so important to kids. And so the very next one is going to be about having an awesome attitude because I think attitude is the number one quality of a leader without it. You can have the other five, but no one will follow you if you have a bad attitude. So I hope to do a children's book for each of those, and then uh, something very personal to me uh, with my faith. I have a nonfiction book I've been working on uh, for a couple years, and it's uh, it's it's about Christmas time. So I, awesome. I can't wait to share that. Yeah,
0: that's definitely my favorite season. So I can't wait yeah. for that to come out. <laughs>
1: I love to write. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you've got a lot of projects going on. Yeah. So those, you talked about leadership quite a bit today, buddy. I think this is a great segue to to end our episode, which is for those who are listening, maybe they're inspired by our conversation of wanting to be a leader someday. What is something Mm -hmm. they can do tomorrow or next week that may enhance their leadership journey?
1: First, if I may, Joshua, I want to go back to that question of balance. Balance is very important. and Balance is something I really need to work on. But I also want to challenge you and your listeners to take on the idea of imbalance. When are times in your life that you need to be unbalanced? Like when do you need to spend too much time on a project and make that sacrifice away from your family or something else? Right. Cause we do that. We do that. And so sometimes it's okay to be unbalanced. You just can't be out of balance for too long. I will go with, uh, to answer your question, where can someone begin? Is just what I said my next children's book, Attitude. I, I really think there are a lot of young people and older people who don't understand how important attitude is. I'm gonna say it again. I have six tenets of leadership. You could master the other five, master it. But if you don't have the right attitude, you will never be a good leader. No one will ever follow, listen to, or wanna be a part of somebody Who has a bad attitude? And a lot of people say, well, I'm not in control of my attitude. Like, you don't understand the hard things that happened in my life. You don't understand what I have to face every day. I don't choose my attitude. Yes, you choose your attitude every single day. And that is a really hard obstacle for a lot of people to get over. Our attitude is king. And There's a lot of things that shape our attitude, who we spend time with, what we do with our time, but events come and go in our life. Unfortunately, there are dark days around the next corner. It's how we respond to those. What kind of leader do you want to be? What kind of leader do you want to follow when things aren't running smoothly? Do you want the person who becomes unhinged, who becomes angry, who lashes out at people? Or do you want somebody who responds rather than reacts? And that's all about attitude. And so I would say that's it. But I I would also say this, if you really are interested in becoming a a better leader, personally, like what is a leader? Well, are you a leader in your family? Are you a leader in your community? Are you a leader in your neighborhood? Are you a leader in your building and in the hallway? Certainly you're a leader somewhere. Look for those opportunities. And when the opportunity comes up, don't turn your back to it and walk back in your room don't roll your window up. Don't turn the volume up. Stop and say, I'm going to step up. I'm going to lead today. I'm going to lead on this decision. I'm going to speak up and I'm going to try to help other people. And I think there's three ways to vent it. Is what I'm saying true? Is what I'm saying helpful? And is what I'm saying kind? If it goes all three of those, move forward. (laughs) If if any one of those is off, like if, if what you say is true and helpful, but it's not kind, keep it to yourself. All right. Until you can find a kind way to say it. I think that's a good way to approach leadership. I think it's a very doable way. Would you agree?
0: Yeah. I think that's extremely tangible. I like the filter that you stated with the three layers there.
1: Yeah. A lot of people, a lot of people stand up and they want to correct somebody and uh, that's not leadership because what does that do? It's provocative. It actually, it actually creates more drama. Mm -hmm. You know, social media has a lot of that. Like I'm going to correct everybody. And so those, those are my filters. You know, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it kind? Yeah. And if it is, I'm going to share it.
0: So Kelly, for those who want to connect with you, how may they do that on social media?
1: Easy. I am Kelly Croy on Twitter and Wired Educator on Twitter, but now I have a Twitter team. I'm trying to catch up to teach better team and <laughs> to make to make a greater impact in the world. On Instagram, I'm Kay Croy and on Facebook, I'm, I'm Kelly Croy and, um, uh, I don't know if you just do a quick Google search, you'll find lots of uh, ways to to reach out to me, but I'm also the guy, if you email, like I answer emails. I I think that's so much fun to connect with people all over the world. So I would love to get a personal email from you and I would love to send you back an honest response. And, and uh, I think that's real communication right there.
0: All right. So everyone, if you haven't picked up a long came a leader or unthink before bed, make sure you do that. And then we're going to put on social media here soon. Um, a way to win both or one of those books kelly i feel honored to be connected with you as a leader as an educator and as a man and i i just i don't know if you realize how much influence you have on people but (laughs) for sure you have had a positive one on me so thank you so much for being on the podcast
1: i'm excited that you had me on i wish you luck on your book i I know it's coming out soon and uh, i'm thankful that you honor and share the stories of others out as well it's a great honor to be on this podcast